love to study words, and I love to find out where words come from. We take it for granted that we can make these sounds that we all understand as, as words, and it means something. The word crucial is a word that um, maybe you haven't used it lately, maybe you have. Often when you use it, you, you have a sense of what it means. It's not that technical of a term. But did you know that the word crucial comes from the word for cross? It comes from the, the Latin word crux, which means cross and cross shape. But over time, the word is used to mean a decision, an, an important uh, decision, something that then becomes a dividing point, a watershed that, that makes something more important than other things. The word is used in that way as a reference to those old signposts that you would see uh, for centuries where there were footpaths and roads and you know those signs that, that have like a little finger on them or they have a, an arrow and they point to a direction. So not only do they tell you how far away something is, but they actually point in the direction of that that city or that destination. This is long before we have um, uh, Garmin's and Wayfinders. You just pointed. It's over there if you want to get to that place. And so the, the phrase, the, the, the crucial instant or the instantia crucis is, is developed by an English... Um, scientist and politician and philosopher named Francis Bacon. You remember him. He was the inventor of bacon bits and the Baconian method, yes, and the Baconian method is the method by which salads are no longer boring. Yes. Um, none of that's true, but um, Francis Bacon was uh, an official to the King of England during the time of the writing of the King James Version of the Bible. And so there's this, this, this enlightenment period where scientific method and thinking grows. And Francis Bacon is right there at the forefront of that. And he said that whenever we're thinking through something and we're doing experiments, we need experiments that reduce things down to say this is true and this is not true. And he imagined that cross-shaped sign at the crossroads where you have to make a decision or a choice that says you will either go this way or that way. And to describe such a vital, important choice, he uses from Latin the word that once meant cross. And from it, we get our English word, crucial. You and I live in a day and age where everything is crisis. It, everything, there is no more news. Everything's breaking news. You know, you, you, you turn on your television now. Remember when breaking news and special reports were actually special? Or they actually broke. They were actually something new. But now it's the same thing in the 24-hour news cycle. So uh, breaking news. There is no breaking news, breaking news, same breaking news, breaking news, and, and, and the news is broken because none of this means anything anymore. But, but we use words, we overuse words like 
crisis and devastation, and we, we use these intense words, I think, to try to fill our language back with some sort of impact. When it's right there, if we'll just understand it, if we'll just take a look at it, crucial is a word that's going to be used to describe something extremely important because other things depend on it. Um, if you imagine a, uh, um, a machine or, or, a, or a, let's say a computer, uh, there's a lot of add-ons. You can add on a different kind of a keyboard or a different kind of monitor. You can change your desktop. You can change all those settings. But there's one thing that's going to be crucial to that setup. Power. Without power, you just have a large boat anchor. And it, and it won't even be a good boat anchor. The crucial element is, the, is that which is essential. And everything else depends on it. Crucial can also be used to describe something that is decisive or critical. A crucial moment in time. A crucial moment for our congregation. A crucial moment for you or your family. And it might refer to something that turned things towards the good. Or it might be something that turned things towards the bad. It can point to either success or failure. It, crucial is not a word of judgment. It's just a word that represents a moment where things become very important one way or the other I want us to reclaim this word crucial because I think that, that we need to ask ourselves what is crucial to our Christian walk what's crucial to being a disciple we say we want to make disciples for Jesus who are eager to serve others if I asked you like good Mr. Bacon to reduce that down and find out what was crucial to being a disciple for Jesus what would you name what would be on your list uh, there's a I don't think that being a disciple is something that we can just reduce down to a, a, a few simple steps or one thing it involves all of life but there are some things obviously that everything else depends upon and we've been taking the gospel of Luke and, and we've been looking at it and developing uh, a different set of series out of Luke over the last year. And I want to wrap it up with this series on what's crucial. And just from Luke chapter 23, 20, uh, 22, 23, and 24, I want you to see how all the crucial things that have to do with being a disciple come together. Some of the things that we might say are important are the Lord's Supper, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the Great Commission. We're in a missions month or a missions season right now. Why? Because we believe that the Great Commission is important. And it's important to share the gospel with others. We do this and we devote this time to it because we've been told that the Great Commission is great. Meaning that it's important. The resurrection of Jesus is important. The crucifixion of Jesus, we know that that's important. In fact, it's so important that, that we might even have different views on the symbology of the cross. That you might want that cross as a symbol. It's worked into your jewelry, or maybe it's worked into a tattoo, or maybe it's, it's, it's a, 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 a decorative in your office. Or you might say, no, I don't want any of that because the cross is too important to reduce down to something like that. And let me tell you. 
that's one of those Romans 14 issues where uh, there's a lot of freedom on that. But the point is, either way, the cross becomes extremely important because without it, you can't even have a resurrection. And we would say that the Lord's Supper is important. So important that we spent time talking about it and talking around it to teach one another. And we have this sense that the Lord's Supper is very important. In fact, I never know quite how to feel when people come to me and they say, you know, I think the most important thing that we do on Sunday is the Lord's Supper. And I'm thinking, I've worked on this sermon just a little while, you know. I mean, it's, it's kind of up there, isn't it? Really? Is preaching that throwaway? Honestly? What makes it even worse is when people will say that, and then they'll, they'll see me and they'll say, I think the most important thing that we do on Sunday is the Lord's Supper. Oh, no offense, Benjamin. That just makes it worse. Because now I'm like, ah, I was kind of agreeing with you, but now I think I'm going to milk it. And so, uh, yeah. I think preaching the Word of God is important, too, and I'm not saying that for my ego. Uh, any, any of us, when we, that song we were singing about shouting to the four directions of the earth, all of us are preachers, all of us are proclaimers of the good news. It comes down to the good commi- great commission. Um, we say these things are important, but why? If we can reduce worship, our worship, down to one moment, then why don't we just do that and get on with it? Why do we spend time on a Sunday? Why do we have to extend things out? Well, honestly, one hour on Sunday, why don't we just reduce it down to 15 minutes, get it taken care of? Because the Christian life is not reductionist. If these things are important, and I believe that they are, and when we know why they are important, then we will see how all of our other choices in life back that up. You know, the communion that you and I were a part of this morning, It didn't end 15 minutes ago. It will be with you the rest of this day. The meaning and the significance of it will make a difference in the decisions that you make today and every other day that God gives you from here on out. Because that Lord's Supper that you and I observed today ties into all the observances of it before this moment, And it extends all the way back to the cross, and it has its meaning in the crucifixion and the resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus. And it has its meaning in that night when Jesus was betrayed. It affects everything else that we do. But when our other choices are separated from these crucial, crucial parts of being a disciple of Jesus, then we can get distracted by stuff that doesn't matter as much. We can become so consumed in worship with style, with fashion, with the types of songs that we sing, with our comfort, with the whatever furniture we're sitting on with with the decorations in here we can become so focused on that and we can spend so much time on that 
that we forget what is crucial to the observance of our Christian faith in Jesus Christ. And we can get so distracted and caught up in the decisions and the things of this world, with the busyness of our schedules, with the emotions that we're feeling, that we forget what is crucial to life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Leaders in the church and everybody in the church keeps what's crucial connected to everything else that they do. Paul understood that, and if you want to take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, um, we'll camp out there for just a minute or two. But notice that Paul makes it clear in the 15th chapter of his letter to the Corinthian church, I passed on to you what was most important. And what had also been passed on to me, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Notice that Paul says, I passed on to you what was most important. That's crucial. It's most important because everything else depends on it. And it's a crucial moment in history because it changes our future in terms of salvation. Now, Paul could have said, I passed on to you something very important. Okay, that's important. What else is important? Well, a lot of other things are important. You remember that when Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, they've got controversies galore. They're stirred up about a lot of questions. There they are sitting in Bible class, and they're saying, you know, I want to talk about something. I want to talk about something that's current. These women who are praying, and they don't have their hat on, that's really bugging me. And somebody else says, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Well, I would expect that kind of answer from somebody like you, says someone else in the Corinthian church. But I'm just telling you, I just don't think it's right. Somebody else says, I think they've got freedom to do whatever they want. They want to take their head covering off. They can take I tell you what, let's ask Paul about this. He's the expert. And so they're stirred up about Meanwhile, as they're on their way discussing their, 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 their grievances over this, they're, they're, they're going to their, their worship time where they're going to gather together around the communion, the common meal. And somebody says, hey, have you, have you heard about, uh, you, know, uh, you know, our brother who he's in, a, he's in a relationship with his stepmother? Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, we're all forgiven, so let's not worry about that. Okay, okay, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, grace. Grace is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Sure is. That's right. I love Jesus. He can do whatever he wants, you know, just as long as it makes him happy. It's fine. And then they go to their tables and they gather around and some of the rich folks come together and they sit at one table. Some of the poor are there. They don't have any bread to share. And they say, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to sit at this table. Go sit over there. That's where you're supposed to be, okay? And in fact, let's get this done so that we can have the meal and then move on. I mean, there might be some other people showing up. And um, we don't have enough wine for everybody. And that's the way that their church service looks. And Paul could have led with 1 Corinthians 15. And he could have said, hey, you are missing it. But instead, he addresses every one of their controversies. The controversies that they own and the controversies they don't recognize. 
And only when he addresses each and every one of them does he come to the end and say, Now, I want to remind you that I passed on to you what was most important had been passed on to me. The reason he does that at the end is if you go back and look, every one of those other items, he answered it by going to that which was crucial. And so that the, 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 the head covering or whatever that women are supposed to, to wear when they pray and prophesy or whatever that's all about, Paul just says, you know, we all need to show some respect and we all need to show respect to Christ. That's what he's getting at in that, in that he doesn't come down really solid either way. He just says that what's most important here is that God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of all humankind. On the issue with the, the man with his stepmother, he says this is a real problem because your actions and your, your t- you know, he's not the problem as much as your tolerance of sin, which is the reason why Jesus had to go to the cross and suffer and die because God had to do something to save us at great cost. And you, you, you seem to be flaunting that. And then every one of the issues that comes up after that, meat sacrifice to idols, these things that we don't even relate to very well. He takes them back to what is crucial. And even the Lord's Supper is tied in to this crucial fact of the, re- of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And once again, Paul will say, I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. Paul's not the decision maker here. He says there is something that's very crucial that takes us to what's most important. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Now, we might read that and we might think, okay, great. Paul is setting up the instructions. He's put together a little pamphlet for us so that we know how the Lord's Supper works. Church, Paul is saying this because they've got it all wrong. They have forgotten what is crucial. If you back up in chapter 11, verse 17, he says in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. For it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. Now think about what he's just said. He said to the Corinthian church, when you come together and come around the table of the Lord... It's worse than if you had just ignored it. He's saying to them, you might as well be off playing softball. You might as well be out at the lake. You might as well just stay at home. Right now, some of you are thinking, did they have softball in Corinth in the first century? No, they didn't. But do you see that he's saying to them, you might as well just do something else. Because the way you are doing it is a mockery. 
So these words that have come to us as instructions on how to do the Lord's Supper are not words that Paul came up with himself, but he says it's, it's what was given to him and what he passed on and what he taught them, and he's bringing them back to basics, but he's also mentioning all this because they can get caught up in what is not crucial. And don't you think that the same thing can happen to us? If we get more caught up in the recipe of the bread or the chemical components of the fruit of the vine or whether it's passed from the front or it comes from the back or we end up taking a single serve or whatever you and I can get caught up in all of that and none of that is crucial and when that happens we need to hear Paul saying here's what was passed on to me here's what I passed on to you but we're not going to stop with Paul we've got we've got much more available to us their problem was that they were divided he says, first I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. That's sarcasm. When you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking in? Do you, do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I'm not going to praise you for that. And then he passes on to them what's crucial. You'll see Paul do this in, in, in 1 Corinthians quite often when it comes to uh, chapter 15. And he, he mentions what was of most importance. He later then says about the resurrection, he says, if this is what's crucial, if this is what's most important, then, then how do some of you argue that there is no resurrection of the dead? And he tells us how vitally important it is that if we take that out of the center of our Christian faith, the rest of it unravels. Don't buy into the idea that says, well, you know, even if uh, the resurrection isn't true, if it's just a myth, and uh, e even if there is no such thing because it might be scientifically implausible, then, um, you know, this is still the best life. Wouldn't you agree? No. I wouldn't. Because it doesn't make sense if that's the case. You and I are in relative comfort, but we have brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who are risking their lives to do what we're doing today. We have brothers and sisters in this country and in other countries who their families have turned their backs on them because of what we're doing today. People have had to come to that crucial moment of decision and decide, am I going to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is? The Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord over the living and the dead, that he is the one that was risen and exalted. Am I going to believe that or am I going to pursue my own way and maybe even a way of comfort, maybe even a way of security, but I'll risk it because of Jesus. Right now they say that there are um, refugees who are coming from Syria, who are moving into Europe, people from predominantly Muslim countries 
who are saying that they are convinced that Jesus has revealed to them that he is the Son of God, and they are accepting it. Like one of my friends says, I don't have a category to put that in. But I will say this, I don't, I, I'm not going to tell them that their experience of Jesus is in some way unimportant. Now, if it is a genuine and true experience of Jesus, then it will lead them in his truth. But Paul says that his witness of Jesus, he said, and by the way, he didn't work off of his own experience first. He, he keeps... He keeps on after that passage in 1 Corinthians 15, and he says um, uh, that he passed it on. He said, he, was, he said, Christ, the risen Christ, was seen by Peter, then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles, and last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. You would think that Paul would lead with his own experience, but what convinces him is that all of these others, numbering over 500, saw the risen Christ. And then he saw it too. But even if he had not seen the risen Christ, he would have still said, this is of most, this is what I passed on to you of, that was most important. Luke's going to do the same thing in his gospel, where he, he from, the, from the beginning of our study of Luke, he has said that, that many have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. He's talking about the, the life of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and his appearances after he was risen. He said there's been a lot of accounts put together about that. He said they use the eyewitness report. Have you ever noticed that right here in Luke 1, many people have set out to write accounts? Maybe one of those that Luke has in mind is Paul. Because Paul wrote about this when he wrote to the Corinthians. Paul had a word and a message about this crucial event and why it was crucial. And so now... Luke's going to use those same eyewitnesses and carefully investigating everything from the beginning, I've also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. You and I can show up on Sunday. We can, we can, we can run through the, the, the good habits that help us to become better disciples. The Lord's Supper, listen to a little preaching, sing a few songs, this is good, this is good. And we can never ask ourselves, why? Why does it matter? Why, why is it crucial? Why is this more important than anything else? And if we don't ask why, then soon we'll find ourselves not increasing in faith, but we will be enduring faith. And we'll be saying, I wish I was doing something else right now. I wish I was somewhere else right now. I wish that I could do other things, but I guess I can't. 
I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to, and I want you to have more than that. I believe we can have more than that. Because if this is crucial, then all of our other decisions will either conform to following Jesus or they'll depart from it 180 degrees. Just like the signposts at the crossroads. Now, that's not bad news. That's good news. Because that means that you and I are really going to find life in Christ, which is life as God always intended it. And that means that you and I are going to find more and more that the shiny objects and the distractions of this world, no matter how important they may seem, no matter how many times somebody tacks the label, breaking news, crisis, this is important, pay attention to this, this is what matters, this is who I want to be. That's all, we're going to see it for what it is. The veneer is going to be ripped off of it. We're going to see through it. We're going to realize that it's just cheap goods. But to do that, we've got to get back to what's crucial. Luke starts his gospel with this word to Theophilus telling him what he was setting out. He was writing a story, or writing an account, gathering up all of the eyewitness accounts, gathering up all of the word about the things that had happened among us. It's interesting, and I'm going to give you a preview of where we're going with this in the next few weeks. It's interesting that in Luke 24, after he was risen, Luke includes one of those moments where two disciples witnessed and saw and beheld the risen Jesus. They don't recognize him at first. He's right there in front of him on the road to Emmaus, and they don't recognize him. Part of it's because he, they were kept from recognizing him. But how often is Jesus right here among us, and we don't recognize him because we don't know what we're looking for? And along the way, they have a view of all the events that happened among us. Does that, does that phrase sound familiar? It should, because Luke starts the gospel that way. The events that have been fulfilled among us. Along the way to Emmaus, Jesus begins telling these two disappointed disciples, these two disciples who think that everything went wrong, he begins to explain to them through God's word preaching through God's word he begins to explain to them how the things that have been fulfilled among them do fit into scriptures and God's plan and they are so enthusiastic before they even know that this is Jesus before they even sit down at a table and he takes bread and he breaks bread and he gives thanks and he gives it to them before that even happens that communion at Emmaus they are inspired because they know what is crucial. Now, these last few chapters of Luke are going to wrap up his introduction so nicely. And I think it's going to call us to experience what Paul said was most important. What Paul said was that if, if, if that really didn't happen and it's just a myth that we believe, then people ought to feel sorry for us. Because everything we're doing is a lie. But you and I have people like Luke and 
Paul among our cloud of witnesses. You have people who are a little closer to you in time and space. We have people who were once among this congregation and now are gone. We have people who are right here, right now. And we have the Spirit of God that will teach us and comfort us and lead us into that which is most important, that which is crucial. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear so that we might pay attention to that which is most important. So many things, our worries and fears, and God, just the way life is organized, the culture around us, sometimes the, the culture that we create, even in our churches, distracts us from that which is crucial. But Lord, you've made yourself known. You haven't hidden this. You've revealed it. And I pray that in the light of it, we will be made new and transformed and brought to a realization of your love and how that love puts a, puts a certain kind of demand on us that enables us to be obedient and in doing so find happiness and contentment such that we cannot imagine. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing this song, Just As I Am, I want you to know something. You don't have to get perfect to come to Jesus to be perfect. You come to Jesus just as you are because you realize that so many of the things that you've put into your life thinking that that's what was most important have turned out to be broken. Maybe it's left you disappointed. Maybe it has hurt you. Maybe it has hurt others. Whatever the case, you can come to him and you will find in the crucial gospel, the crucial good news of the cross that there's always a resurrection. It worked in his life, and it will work for your life. As we sing this song, we just want to encourage you, if anyone needs the prayers of our shepherds or uh, has decided to be baptized into Christ, then let us know this morning as we all stand and sing together.